1: I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with stocks back in record territory, but can they keep going higher futures? They're fighting for more gains today. Also, earnings will have a say as where, to where the averages go. Taking center stage today, the likes of UPS, Microsoft, Alphabet, and more. We're going to tee up the numbers to watch ahead of those reports. And it's not just earnings that will have an impact today. The Federal Reserve kicks off its latest meeting with new calls from lawmakers to cut rates sooner. Plus, new concerns about the resilience of U.S. consumers and it may be fading. as shares a whirlpool. They sell off on a weaker-than-expected earnings report. And then later on the show, OpenAI goes on a Goodwill AI tour as it and Microsoft, they face a growing wave of legal headwinds. It is Tuesday, January the 30th, 2024. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. As always, we kick off the hour at the check of U.S. stock futures after the S&P 500. It closed above 4,900 for the first time ever. And along with the Dow, locking in its sixth record close of the year. Take a look. Very different picture in the pre-market. You can see it's in the red across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up 40 points lower. All right. Heading into the final two trading days of the month, the major indices on pace for three straight months of gains led by communication services. We're talking names like Netflix, Meta, and Verizon, all of them up double digits so far this month. As we await the kickoff to the Fed's latest policy decision today, we have to check the bond market, take a look. We're actually seeing bond yields decline a bit. The benchmark right now at 4.05%, almost 4.06%, down a few basis points from the levels that we saw yesterday. Also looking at the energy market, oil up more than 7% this month, hitting its highest level since November. This morning, you can see it continues to move higher. WTI crude, the U.S. benchmark, up a half a percent. Brent crude, the international benchmark, up a third of a percent. Okay, that is your U.S. setup. Let's get to some breaking news over in Europe. And a few big stock movers overseas are Jamana Bersechi. She's in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Jamana, good morning.
2: Good morning, Frank. Some breaking news coming out of the Eurozone. Uh, the preliminary flash Q4 GDP estimate has come in at 0% quarter-on-quarter. This is slightly better than the consensus estimate of 0.1%. That translates to 0.1% year-on-year. Again, slightly better than the consensus figure of 0%. A little uh, earlier, we had the full numbers come from Germany. Uh, Eurozone's largest economy showing a contraction of 0.3%. For the fourth quarter and also showing a contraction of minus 0.3 percent for the year as higher energy prices and weak demand took its toll. The French economy faring a little bit better coming in at flat, but some strength coming through from the likes of Spain And Italy, those continue to be the strongest performing countries within the eurozone. So that data has come through. Elsewhere, we're watching uh, some corporates uh, closely today. Hapak Lloyd reported a more than 90 percent slump in quarterly core profit as volumes suffer in the wake of the Houthi rebel attacks on shipping in the Red Sea. Now, preliminary figures show Ibitav of 300 million euros versus 3.8 billion euros a year ago. Uh, Another stock that we're watching closely in the auto space is Renault. The auto has scrapped the planned IPO of its EV business on pairs, citing equity market conditions. The offering had been expected early this year, targeting a valuation as high as 10 billion euros. And then finally, in food and beverage space, Diageo sales figures missed expectations in the first half, amid a sharp pullback in Latin America that caused the spirits giant to issue a profit warning in November. So the stock is coming under some selling pressure today. It is at the bottom of the FTSE 100. But more generally speaking, Frank, European markets are off to a good start today, sitting at a two-year high.
1: All right, Arjimana Persechi, live in London. All right, turn our attention now back to the markets. The MSCI All World Index now at a fresh two-year high as investors, they slash their bets on rate cuts by the Fed and other central banks. Traders are now pricing in a 47 percent chance of a cut at the Fed's March meeting. That's down from 88 percent odds of easing just a month ago. Joining me now is Gurpreet Gill, macro strategist on the global fixed income team at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Gurpreet, good morning. Great to have you here.
3: Morning, Frank. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right. So, of course, we have the big Fed meeting coming up this week. The decision tomorrow, not a lot of action expected, but a lot of anticipation for Jay Powell's commentary. What are you expecting and how do you see what he says uh, on tomorrow, I should say, impacting what happens in March?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's two key things to focus on tomorrow. The first is whether the Fed drops a hiking bias in its statement. We do think that is likely. The second thing to focus on is how Chair Powell fields questions during the press conference around the potential for a rate cut as soon as March. Our own expectation is that the Fed won't cut in March. We think that growth is good enough for the Fed to wait to gain more confidence in the disinflation trend. We do think a rate cut in May is plausible. However, if disinflation stays on track on that front, it's worth keeping in mind that a measure Fed officials have recently been quoting the six month annualized pace of core PCE inflation. That's been below two percent for two months now. If that trend continues, we do think that Fed will pivot to easing.
1: Okay, I know you're also looking at another central bank decision. The Bank of England also making its decision uh, coming up this week. What's your outlook on the Bank of England and why are you so bullish on gilts right now? You're overweight on U.K. bonds.
3: Yeah, I think one of the reasons that we think, um, first of all, in terms of our expectations, we think the Bank of England will also be pivoting to easing. And the big picture comment for investors to keep in mind is that policy rates are going to end the year lower this year. That's a difference for the last two years. And so that creates an opportunity in core fixed income bonds. And we think that the Bank of England will deliver more easing than the market is pricing, hence our preference to be overweight there. Like the Fed, we think the Bank of England will drop its hiking bias this week. Um, But we think that they will wait until May to kick start that hiking cycle. But once they get going, we expect six rate cuts in the U.K. versus five in the U.S. this year.
1: So I know fixed income is definitely your wheelhouse, but I do want to get your take on earnings season. Give us a sense of what you've seen so far and also bond yields declining as we head into this Fed meeting.
3: Yeah, first of all, I think the decline in bond yields that we saw yesterday, that reflected a positive response to the US Treasury um, funding announcement, and so less um, new supply than anticipated. And that similar positive response was seen back in November. So that's one of the reasons for that. As it relates to earnings, we get a lot this week, but there's two key takeaways that we've gleaned so far. The first is that Lower input costs means that companies are no longer raising prices to expand profit margins. They're going to have to rely on innovation and increasing sales. That reinforces disinflation at a macro level. And then one of the second early observations, it's tentative, so bears monitoring, is that we're seeing some moderation in spending on services like travel and entertainment. Now, this could be cold weather. It could just be a normalization in demand. It could be a symptom of the loud budgeting trends that we're seeing on social media. Um, But big picture, we're still seeing companies generate cash flow. We're still constructive ability to service their debts. All
1: right. Grapreet Gill from Goldman Sachs says five cuts here in the U.S. this year. Great to see you as always. Thank you. All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Sylvana Hanau is here with those. Sylvana, good morning.
4: Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Frank, we're watching shares of Whirlpool under pressure ahead of the open. The maker of brands like KitchenAid and Maytag says 2024 sales will be weaker than analyst estimates as consumers pull back on appliance spending. Now, the outlook renewing concerns U.S. consumer resilience may be fading, noting falling demand in North America, a region that accounts for more than half of the company's revenue. Elon Musk says his Neuralink company has conducted its first brain computer interface implant in a human being, noting the patient is recovering well. In a post to social media platform, X, referring to brain activity, Musk adding, quote, initial results show promising neuron spike detection. The FDA gave approval for the human trials back in May. And IBM has a message for employees still clinging to a work from home lifestyle. According to a memo sent earlier this month and reviewed by Bloomberg, IBM's senior vice president is now telling all U.S. managers without exemptions to immediately report to an office or client location at least three days a week, quote, regardless of current work location status or, quote, separate from IBM, the memo adds, those working remotely who don't live close enough to commute to a facility must relocate near an IBM office by August, Frank.
1: Yeah, we are seeing a very broad back to the office We push. sure are, yeah. Some companies saying three days, other companies want everybody in there yeah. every, every day. single day. Yep. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out.
0: We'll see. <laughs> right,
1: Savannah, we'll see you later in the show. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today, but first... Laying out the bull case for UPS with the company set to report results in less than an hour. Plus, more delays for Boeing's 737 Maxjet pipeline and new investor concerns. And then later in the show, getting set for today's kickoff to the Fed's two-day policy meeting and the lawmakers. They're putting pressure on Powell to act sooner than later on interest rates. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
5: Join Finteract, a peer-to-peer community of financial services professionals, and keep your finger on the pulse of the industry. Finteract offers a digital hub to start conversations, connect with fresh perspectives, and problem-solve with peers. This members-only community also provides access to virtual and in-person events where you can chat tech stack, develop efficiencies, and learn new ways to propel your business forward. Apply at Finteract.net.
1: All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. UPS shares basically flat ahead of earnings in the next hour. The company guiding almost half of the financial impact of its new Teamsters contract will be realized in the last fiscal year. The Teamsters claim of a $30 billion price tag for the deal. That's been disputed by UPS. But the consensus by investors is the customer lost or negotiations and the increased labor cost will impact profit and margins. The question is just for how long? You can see here, UPS down 15% since that tentative deal was announced and underperforming its rival, FedEx. The two key things to watch in this report are U.S. margin and full-year guidance. You can see right here the sharp drop-off in margin in the quarter after the deal. Estimates have U.S. margin returning to just about 10% this quarter. And then on guidance, full-year estimates have revenues growing by 4.5%, EPS by 8.5%. If UPS guides in line or above, it could give investors new confidence and CEO Carol Tomei's better and bolder strategy. That strategy has included over a billion dollars in acquisitions last quarter alone as it expanded the company's supply chain offerings in warehousing, returns, last mile delivery, and logistics-focused data. Analysts tell me they also have a lot of questions about UPS and artificial intelligence. This year, the company opened a new AI and automation-focused facility they call Velocity. This facility uses about 700 bots UPS plans to triple that across the company this year. For much more on what to expect, let's bring in Amit Morotra, Managing Director of Transports and Shipping at Deutsche Bank. Good morning. It's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Frank. Great to see you. All right. Let's start off with this, the stock. What's your price target? What's your rating? What's the number one thing you're watching for in this report?
6: Well, we have a price target of $190 on UPS, which is quite a bit higher than where the stock's trading at today. We've been consistently bullish about uh, what Carol Tomei, Brian Newman, senior management team is doing at the business to drive long-term uh, value creation. Last year was obviously a blip that uh, reflected exactly what you said, Frank, in terms of the front-end loaded nature of the labor deal and the exacerbation of the strike risk and the volume impact. Make no mistake, uh, the, the labor deal is very, very shareholder-friendly if you have a four- to five-year view, and we think that will be very clear to the market um, starting in the second half of this year with respect to what they're going to report under an hour from now um, we think profits will more than double that bar chart you showed on margin of uh, the third quarter we think will be a blip we think margins will be back to you know very high single digits
1: the yeah, margins are very important for a company like uh, UPS and also its rival FedEx. Um, so you mentioned you have a lot of confidence in Carol Tomei. You also mentioned the CFO, Brian Newman. I've talked to Carol Tomei several times this year, and she said the company has a big push when it comes to AI and automation. How do you see AI and automation impacting this company going forward? What are you expecting when it comes to not only the results possibly being impacted by AI and automation, but also the commentary for forward guidance?
6: Well, this is a company that does, just in the U.S., 5 billion packages per year. Uh, It's really hard to kind of even think about the scale of that business in that context. So little changes in process automation and little changes in efficiency can be multiplied by 5 billion uh, to give you the cumulative effect it has on the company's return profile. The key thing here is, is that this new labor deal, while it does give the union a lot higher wages, which they highly deserve and is a great thing, I think we all know our UPS driver um, and, and value them significantly, uh, the key thing is, is that it does not stop this company from automating its sort centers or anything that goes on within the four walls of its many, many thousand buildings in the United States. So again, this is a key thing as part of the labor deal. Where they can get more efficient. This is a hundred over a hundred and fifteen year old company. Uh, right. Many people don't realize, and so automation and modernization are key factors in what's going to propel the earnings power forward.
1: Yeah, I've talked to a number of investors and also analysts. A lot of people are very excited about what she might say about AI and automation as part of this better and bolder strategy. Um, another thing I know you're looking at is the general rate increase by UPS this year. It's almost six percent. Um, but I do have a question for you. Is that going to be a test for UPS? Um, they lost about a million packages a day during the labor negotiations, most of that to FedEx. This, this increase in pricing, will this be a test of not only their pricing power, but just how much uh, customer stickiness they really have?
6: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that Carol Tomei, the philosophical, the philosophy change that she's bought to this company is really about not giving up price for more volume, the general rate increase is uh, a headline grabber, but it's rather been the rule as opposed to the exception. The question is the company's fidelity to that general rate increase. And you know, we just recently saw what they did with their fuel surcharge uh, uh, mechanism. Generally, we think price discipline is extremely strong in UPS and FedEx, and that is a huge 180-degree change in terms of willing to give up volume uh, for, for price discipline. The last thing I'll say on this, Frank, we are forecasting a 30% increase sequentially in UPS's volumes from 3Q to 4Q. So while we talk about the million packages being lost, we talk about all that uh, difficulty during the strike risk phase of the company. That is wholly in the rear of your mirror. And we think that, you know, volume growth will be better as we as we move forward. All
1: right. UPS reports in just about 40 minutes. Amit Marotra from Deutsche Bank, your price target for UPS, 190. Thank you for being here. Great to see you as
6: well. Thanks, always. Frank.
1: All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, what's being described as a seatbelt moment for social media as the CEOs of TikTok, Meta, Snap, X, and more, they head to Capitol Hill for what could be a regulatory tipping point. We are live in D.C. with a preview coming up next. Stay with Wex. Have you ever brought
5: your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All
1: right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your big money movers. That's three stock stories of the morning. We start with shares of super, super microcomputers surging to a record high. The maker of high performance servers. Reporting second quarter results that just blew past estimates, the company also projecting sales this quarter will come in well above analyst estimates. The stock has more than tripled since last May when CEO Charles Liang said Supermicro is benefiting from the momentum of generative A.I. Those shares right now up almost 11 percent. Cleveland Cliffs reporting a narrower adjusted second quarter loss. Revenue grew but came in just shy of estimates. The steelmaker says Even with the UAW strike, demand in the auto sector stayed healthy last year. The company expects volumes this year to slightly top the amount shipped in 2023. Those shares down just about 2.5%. Shares of F5, they're jumping this morning as the cybersecurity company reported better than expected first quarter results. It's also projecting second quarter sales above analyst estimates and raised its profit growth target for the year. On steady demand for its cloud services, shares of F5 up over 9%. All right, turning to D.C. The CEOs of the biggest social media platforms are heading to Capitol Hill tomorrow to face a grilling over what they are and what they're not doing to keep kids safe online. Emily Wilkins joins us now from Washington. Tomorrow's hearing comes as Congress is still trying to push through new protections. What's the status of that legislation?
7: Good morning, Frank. Well, I mean, the status of the legislation, we have seen some movement on it previously, but I think this hearing is meant to kind of keep building momentum on it. We're going to see a number of social media companies facing questions from senators on what they are doing to keep kids safe online. This is going to include the heads of Meta, of TikTok, X, Snap or Snapchat and Discord. They'll be there in the spotlight at a hearing tomorrow on whether they are doing enough to protect their youngest users. Companies are facing a bevy of lawsuits right now for making their platforms addictive to kids and exposing them to harassment, unwanted messages and images. And as pressure has has built for companies to take more responsibility for protecting teens, you've seen Meta, Snap, and TikTok add new features in the past year to make their sites safer for those under 16. But at this point, senators have yet to be impressed. After Meta announced a framework for federal legislation that put most of the responsibility on safety for app stores, Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn said in a statement that the group's efforts were beyond the pale and said that the company's company's proposal pushes the responsibility of safety onto parents without making the necessary changes to toxic black box algorithms or big tech's harmful business models. Some strong words right there. But Blackburn is one of the top sponsors of the bipartisan Kids Online Safety Act. Now, this was the one that was approved by the Senate panel early uh, last year. The bill requires companies to provide options for protecting teens' information and default to those strongest protections for the younger users. And social media companies would also be held accountable for harms to kids. Plus, researchers could access data from the companies to better study kids online. Now, at this point, only SNAP has endorsed that bill, but other social media groups like Meta have asked Congress for a single national standard as states like Utah, Ohio, Arkansas and Florida are all moving various pieces of legislation to limit what kids can see online and who can contact them. Uh, Frank, should be a very interesting hearing tomorrow. And of course, the big question is, can they build up enough momentum with what we hear tomorrow to actually potentially get a vote on the Senate floor?
1: All right, so, Emily, obviously a lot of huge names here. We're talking Snap, Meta, TikTok, et cetera. But I want to ask you, despite the outrage of these senators, what is the real likelihood of this bill hitting the floor?
7: Frank, I think at this current Congress, it is a little bit difficult to see any piece of legislation going to the floor. Just because Congress has so many priorities, things they have to get done— still got to fund the government. Uh, Certain programs are going to be expiring, like FAA and FISA. Senate's going to have to deal with that. I mean, the one thing that this bill, I think, has going for it, besides the fact that it is bipartisan and does have a strong amount of support, is that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer did come out last year and say, hey, Congress needs to get a bill like this done. He sees it as the first step to larger bills on data privacy. And you've heard from senators across the board that data privacy really needs to go first before the Senate gets To legislation on AI, which is, of course, another priority uh, for Schumer this year.
8: All
1: right, a lot to talk about. Our Emily Wilkins live in D.C. Emily, thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, OpenAI, it goes on a goodwill tour as it juggles innovation with a growing wave of legal headwinds. We'll be right back on WEX. It is just before 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Futures fighting to keep the records going with the S&P 500 topping 4,900 for the first time ever. Earnings once again serving as a key driver for the markets today with two members of the MAG-7 in the spotlight. We're going to tee up the key numbers to watch in those results. And the Fed in a rate cut timeline also top of investor minds as the central bank kicks off its latest policy meeting. It is Tuesday, January the 30th. 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after the S&P closed above 4,900 for the first time ever and the Dow recorded its sixth record close of the year. But take a look at these futures. You can see a bit of a change in the NASDAQ. It was not the red just a short time ago. Now, well, fractionally, but the Dow looks like it would open up down just about 35 points right now. We're also waiting to kick off to the latest Fed policy meeting today. More on that in a moment, but right now we're going to check the bond market. Looking at the benchmark right now at 4.05 percent, just a few basis points lower. We'll continue to watch bond yields throughout the morning. We've seen them tick just a bit lower as we head into that meeting. Okay. That's your morning setup. Now we're going to turn our attention back to earnings. Once again, the key focus for investors today with two of the magnificent seven reporting, along with a number of other companies, are Deirdre Bosa is tracking Alphabet. Kate Rogers, she's digging into Starbucks, but we begin with Steve Kovac on Microsoft and the key number to watch when those numbers cross.
8: The key number to watch when Microsoft reports earnings after the bell Azure cloud growth. Now look, I bet you thought I was gonna say artificial intelligence, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. A quarter ago, we learned all that activity on OpenAI has seen is directly benefiting Microsoft's cloud business. That's because OpenAI runs its systems on Azure as part of Microsoft's massive stake in the startup. For Microsoft's fiscal first quarter, Azure cloud growth hit 29%, beating expectations by three percentage points. Microsoft credited OpenAI for some of that. Now for this report, Street expecting 27.5% growth for Azure. But if Microsoft beats that, take it as a sign Microsoft has two strong revenue streams related to AI, direct sales of its co-pilot assistant and cloud sales from other AI companies operating on the Azure cloud. That's especially important after Azure Cloud growth slowed dramatically over the last two years as Microsoft helped its customers cut costs. By the way, we're not expecting Microsoft to reveal sales so far for Copilot unless the numbers are really, really impressive.
2: Reports tomorrow is generative AI, specifically when and how they are monetizing it. B of A rights 2024 could help establish Google as either an AI leader or at risk for further search erosion. On that note, Google's most advanced version of Gemini, that's its latest large language model, is expected to become available early this year. So we will be looking for any further details on the call. Also in focus, layoffs and cost controls. After rolling layoffs to start the year, Wall Street will wanna know how it's impacting the bottom line and margins. Finally, pay attention to Google's cloud unit. Last earnings report, a miss in the cloud division overshadowed better-than-expected overall results. The bar's high for Alphabet just last week, it hit a fresh all-time high.
9: Good morning. Starbucks is set to report earnings for the first quarter after the closing bell today. The stock had a lackluster 2023 down over 3 percent. Analysts are expecting EPS of 93 cents on revenues of 9.58 billion for the quarter. Same-store sales will be the key metric to watch. Global same-store sales estimated to climb 7.2 percent. North America comps up 5.8 percent, and international comps estimated to climb 13.2 percent, according to Factset. Analysts are warning about some potential softness in the company's sales trends for this quarter. First up, weather in the U.S. has been noted by analysts at Stiefel and Piper Sandler. Stiefel also projects a potential impact from consumer boycotts at some licensed stores in several Middle Eastern markets. Looking to China, Starbucks' second home market as it calls it, Piper notes potential questions about the quarter and full year there. It says it believes investors are expecting a same-store sales miss against the consensus of up near 20 percent quote at the end of the day the bigger picture question here is what is going on with starbucks business in china and is the unit growth story still intact over the long term unfortunately we don't have the answer for that piper's brian mullen writes in his note much more to come after the bell frank back over to you all
1: right outside of earnings this week is all about the fed as the central bank kicks off its latest policy meeting today bringing it one decision closer to the start of its rate cut campaign. Ahead of that decision, interest rate traders only pricing in a 2% chance of a cut tomorrow. But those odds shoot up dramatically, looking ahead to March and beyond. But for some, like Senator Elizabeth Warren and three other Democratic lawmakers, March is not coming soon enough, with the group urging the central bank to do more sooner, saying, quote, the direct effect of these astronomical rates has been a significant increase in the overall home purchasing cost to the average consumer. We urge you to consider the effects of your interest rate decisions. Joining me now is New York Times Federal Reserve and economy reporter Gina Smiley. Gina, good morning. It's great to have you here in the house. Thanks for having me. All right. I know you're heading down to D.C. later today. Um, you're going to be in the room when they make that decision. Not much expected from the decision, honestly. Everybody's expecting no move at all, but a lot of anticipation when it comes to Jay Powell's, uh press conference. What are you expecting?
0: Yeah, this is going to be a tough press conference for them because I think they are going to try and walk a very fine line between not ruling March out as a live meeting for a rate cut and not absolutely locking it in as a meeting for a rate cut. I think they're going to try and keep it live. I think they're going to try and keep their options open. You know, we've got a couple of really big data points between now and that meeting. And so they're not going to want to be too definitive.
1: All right. So you see, you said the odds we're talking off camera, odds are like 50-50. It could go either way in your mind. Um, So I do want to talk to you about this week overall. Pretty big week. We have a Fed decision and obviously the Jay Powell News Conference. And then on Friday, we have the jobs report. So we have a lot more economic data before we get to March. Give us a sense. The jobs report, other economic reports. How does that factor in? Because I think the consensus now is we've kind of reached that soft landing. Does the Fed see it the same way?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the Fed is extremely hopeful that we've reached that soft landing. But I think they have to watch a couple of data points between now and and now and that March meeting. The most important one is actually February 9th, which is when we get CPI revisions. And those are not usually a barn burner of a data report. (laughs) But I think in this case, last year what we saw with these CPI revisions was a really big upward revision to the fourth quarter. And the takeaway there was that the inflation picture wasn't as positive as we thought it had been. And so if that were to happen again, it could really change the picture that the Fed is looking at. And so I think those February night or March, yeah, February 9th revisions are just going to be incredibly crucial to how they're thinking going into the March meeting. And then we're going to have another CPI report. And so I think the, the sort of one-two punch of the actual CPI data in hand and the revisions from the end of last year are going to be the critical thing to watch.
1: So is, is CPI, PCE, are, are those really the, the deciding factors here? How does the jobs report play into all this?
0: Yeah, excellent question. And I think, actually, the most important question for Powell this week. He's going to get asked about this if okay. he I, if you know, no one else asks about this. I'm going to ask about this, which is what, if, you know, how are they thinking about growth data versus inflation data right now? Because the growth data looks really strong. You know, it's right. a little weird for the Fed to be cutting interest rates in an environment where growth is above trend. Unemployment's at 3.7 percent. Job gains are still really solid. But at the same time, inflation's coming down faster than they expect. And maybe we'll even undershoot that 2 percent target if it keeps going at this rate. And so I think, you know, wh- how that balancing act plays out is something that he really needs to describe in a little bit more detail.
1: All right. So we know the question that you're going to ask her in the news conference. What about what Senator Warren, those Democratic lawmakers are asking to definitely cut in March? Does that factor at all into the Fed's decision? Does that factor into Jay Powell's thinking?
0: They would tell you absolutely not. You know, they are very adamant that they do not take political considerations into account when they're thinking about policy. This is why they have that famous independence from the, you know, from not just the presidency, but also they're fairly insulated against immediate change from Congress. And so I think that, you know, they would say, no, it doesn't matter to them. Obviously, though, I do think they are conscious of the fact that people are really struggling under the sort of combined weight of high prices and high mortgage rates. And that is something that they're thinking about as they try and navigate this soft landing, try and make sure that we can set down without a big recession.
1: You know, there's a lot of things going on in the world in general. There's geopolitical issues that are impacting um, just about everything, but including the oil market, which can have inflationary impacts. But at the same time, we've seen the supply chain ease. How do those different geopolitical factors, how do they factor into the Fed's decision when, again, their mandates are unemployment and inflation?
0: Yeah, I think if you talk to any economist right now who's watching sort of the global macroeconomy, this is the big thing that they're worried about. It, when, when you say, what could derail the soft landing? It's geopolitics, because we've got these Red Sea disruptions, which are messing with supply chains through the Red Sea. We've got the potential of a bigger Middle East conflict. And both of those could matter a lot.
1: All right. Gina Smiley. It is always great to have you here and have your insight. I know you're heading down to D.C. You're going to be in the lockup. We already know your question. So we know the question that you're going to ask if nobody else asks. It's really great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right. All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Great to see our Silvana now as well. Silvana, over to you.
4: Hey, Frank. Good morning. Boeing says it is withdrawing a request for a safety exemption for its new 737 MAX 7 jet that would have allowed U.S. regulators to speed up its approval. The exemption, which was initially requested last year with the FAA, would have allowed the MAX 7 to be certified before making design changes. Boeing's withdrawal comes ahead of its fourth quarter results tomorrow. The DOJ and SEC announcing charges in relation to a nearly $2 billion crypto fraud. The DOJ says the three people charged falsely claimed that investors in Hyperfund, as the scheme was known, would receive substantial returns paid from crypto mining operations that didn't actually exist. And OpenAI announcing it's teaming up with the nonprofit Common Sense Media on a new push, To help teens understand how to use artificial intelligence in a safe manner. Common Sense has been working to develop an AI ratings and review system for parents, kids and educators to better understand AI's risks and benefits. OpenAI's apparent goodwill tour coming as it and primary backer Microsoft face off against a growing wave of legal headwinds over content use, including one from the New York Times, something Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella weighed in on during an NBC News exclusive with Lester Holt. Listen in.
6: I do want to ask you about the New York Times lawsuit um, against against your partner, uh, OpenAI, and yourself about the idea of using their content, using New York Times content to train AI. I know it's a, it's a legal open case and you 're can only say so much about it, but it does kind of open up a thought about where this information comes from
10: and who ultimately benefits. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things uh, that is going to be very, very important is both what is the copyright protection as well as what is fair use in a world where there is transformative new technology. Uh, I think that that's really where uh, the copyright laws uh, have to essentially now be interpreted for what is a new transformation technology. We have done this in the past. I'm sure we'll come out in, with the right set of guidelines on what is used for training. That's one thing. That's the transformation side of it. And of course, it's clear that you can't just use copyrighted material and regurgitate anything. Uh, and so, those are two very distinct issues. I think we'll, you know, get, you know, the courts will opine on it, and I'm sure we'll come out. And in fact, if you look at you know, what Japan is doing and other countries are also doing, which is how to think about copyright in an enlightened way in such a so that this new technology can be developed. In fact, new competitors can be introduced while at the same time protecting copyright.
4: And Frank, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman recently revealed his firm had been in talks with the Times on paying it for the publication's data before news of the lawsuit came out.
1: All right, Silvana, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, a bullish call on Spotify, sending shares higher ahead of the open. We have the details next. But first, we have some of your top trending stories. SiriusXM becoming a lot less smart, at least in name. The company reportedly signing a $100 million deal to move Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes' SmartList podcast to its platform. The multi-year agreement will provide exclusive content for subscribers, including early access to new episodes. You're also going to get your chance to mix coffee with olive oil. Ugh. Starbucks is launching its olive oil-infused drinks in all U.S. stores starting today. The Oleato beverages first debuted in Italy last February and were initially met with (laughs) negative reviews. The CEO talked a lot about it, actually, during one earnings call. Pretty excited about it. I just don't know. Olive oil and coffee. And the old Taylor can finally come back to the phone. X restoring searches for Taylor Swift after temporarily blocking them due to a flood of explicit AI deepfakes. The social media platform says... It will hire 100 content moderators to better police its safety rules. Stay with us. Much more WEX coming up. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Quick quick market check on shares of Calix. Uh, the telecom tanking on the heels of weaker guidance for the current quarter, pulling attention away from a better-than-expected quarterly report, though still reporting a loss for the fourth quarter. Those shares down more than 20%. We're also watching shares of Arcus Biosciences. They're popping this morning up almost 18 percent. Gilead Sciences raising its stake in the Cancer Central biocentric biotech company to 33 percent and expanding its presence on the company's board of directors. All right. Time now for your morning call sheet. UBS upgrading Spotify's rating to a buy and raising its price target to 274 per share. It says the streaming giant's efficiency efforts have increased conviction on sustainable margin expansion And stronger bottom line trends. You can see shares of Spotify right now up just about 2%. Raymond James downgrading advanced micro devices rating ahead of its earnings, moving it to outperform. It cites valuation and elevated AI revenue expectations for that move. Shares of AMD right now down just about 1%. And Oppenheimer downgrading its rating and price target on five below, moving it to perform in 200 bucks a share. Oppenheimer saying it worries that 5 Below's underlying growth dynamics are slowing down. Shares of 5 Below right now unchanged in the pre-market, but down about 3% over the last year. All right, time now for your global briefing. The EU out with its latest read on GDP avoiding an expected recession late last year. After stabilizing in the fourth quarter, the reading coming in flat, but better than expected than the slight, uh, better than the slight pullback expected. This despite weakness within the EU's largest member, Germany. Over in China, BYD under pressure after issuing a profit forecast that was below expectations. The Berkshire Hathaway-backed company recently surpassed Tesla as the world's largest EV maker by sales volume, but still faces a price war with other Chinese automakers. And Saudi Arabia's Aramco is abandoning plans to boost its oil output capacity. The reversal will take out a major portion of the supply buffer originally expected for later this decade. It comes after Ramco said it plans to boost capacity to 13 million barrels a day by 2027. And they said those efforts were going, quote, very well. All right. Coming up, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, too much love for the Magnificent Seven. The members, our next guest says, have been overbought as the group prepares to roll out earnings. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify or other podcast apps. Much more WEX coming up after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We start with F5 jumping after topping earnings expectations and issuing strong revenue guidance. The cyber company is citing its product portfolio and innovation efforts for that beat. You can see those shares are up over 9%. SoFi giving back some gains this morning after posting its best day since August of 2022 yesterday. This on upbeat earnings and the expansion of some investment options that are available to customers. Netflix co-founder Reed Hastings donating over 2 million shares of the streaming giant to the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Hastings still owns around 3 million shares, along with several million several million in stock options. Diageo under pressure on lower-than-expected sales and earnings. The U.K. distiller says sticky inflation and higher interest rates are causing sales to slump in the U.S., Latin America, and the Caribbean. Elon Musk's and implanting a brain chip in its first human patient, who Musk says is recovering well. Neuralink was approved by the FDA last year and is working towards enabling people to control a computer with their thoughts. And Whirlpool shares, they are falling this morning. The company forecasting sales and profit below estimates as it deals with pricing pressure, falling North American consumer demand, and higher expenses. Shares of Whirlpool down just about 5%. Here's what to watch today. We get several pieces of economic data, including the latest S&P K-Shiller Home Price Index, Jolt survey, and consumer confidence figures. We also have another busy day of earnings with results from Microsoft, Alphabet, UPS, General Motors, Pfizer, and AMD, all of them set to report. And the Fed, it kicks off its latest two-day policy meeting today. Earnings with a big focus on big tech results set to be the key driver for the markets as they continue to notch fresh record highs. Taking a look at futures right now, we can see the Nasdaq has dipped just slightly back in the negative. The Dow back to its lows of the morning, looking like it would open about 45 points lower. For much more, let's bring in Jay Woods, chief global strategist at Freedom Capital Markets. Jay, good morning. It's great to have you here. Good morning. Good to be here. All right. So obviously a huge week for earnings this week. Big tech earnings, magnificent seven earnings with that in mind. What's your WEX word of the day?
11: Well, when you're watching these earnings, watching these stocks, you have to respect the trend lines. Right now, what we saw out of the first of the mega caps report was Tesla. Tesla was in a downtrend, and that trend line held and broke down. Now we focus on the mega caps, how they're going to react. So if you're trading these stocks, if you're looking over the long term, the trend lines look great. But let's look at Apple first. Out of the five that report this week, this one has me a little concerned. The price action is Slightly down. We made a lower high this time up. Watch the 200 day moving average. It's right on the uptrend as you go into it. And then you've got three of them that are overbought right now. That has me a little concerned, not concerned because they could go down. But when you look at Microsoft, Meta. And Google, I know it's Alphabet. They should change the symbol to ABC. It's available. <laughs> you know, Amerisource, Bergen's gone. Concha Hawking Company. Listen, we're
1: life. bringing you here yeah. for markets, not brand All right. right.
11: All I right. apologize. Let, but those-
1: let, let, Let's get to the, the companies that you're looking at that are in overbought territory. By yeah. the way, you can go on the CNBC Stock Streener, Streener to look this up yourself. You are talking Alphabet, uh, Meta, and Microsoft, all three with an RSI above 70 why is that meaningful going into earnings?
11: It's meaningful because it's really going to take a big beat, a big guide for them to really take that next leg higher. Doesn't mean it can't happen. We've seen it. But given the run they've been on, you know, I expect them to do well, but it puts you in a position for an actionable pullback. And that's why the trend line comes into play. Because given the run they've up, Microsoft up 12% already year to date, right. if it pulls back, that gives someone an opportunity to get in. But uh, if you're a long-term investor, you're not even looking at this. You're just putting them away. And these are these are great companies. The one I do like is Amazon. Amazon has done that full roundabout, right. but hasn't made all-time highs like we've seen in the other four stocks we've talked about. They have room to run. The trend line is slow and steady going higher but uh, to me,
1: it's not overbought. And uh, the AI story, I can't wait to hear about what they talk about on the call. I think a lot of people are waiting for Amazon to talk more about AI. So, again, Amazon's not overbought. The overbought stocks that you're worried about are Alphabet, Meta, and Microsoft. But high valuation. Um, Amazon's valuation very elevated. The tech sector trading at about 26 times forward earnings. Uh, Amazon trading at about 48 times forward earnings. Are you concerned about that? If you're concerned about it being overbought, Aren't you also concerned about earnings uh, justifying that elevated valuation?
11: Well, I'm, I'm a technician first. And, uh, you know, historically, Amazon has always had a high valuation. So this isn't anything that I'm concerned about. Right now, I look at momentum and where rotation goes into stocks, where it goes into sectors. And what we saw at the end of last year, the rotation was into the small caps and some of these mega caps lagged. And then they took off to start this year. Now, what I think we're going to see is the mega caps pause Maybe go up a little bit more, but I don't think the momentum is there. And you're going to start to see it come back to the small caps, the Russell. Look at the financials within the Russell. Look at the industrials within the Russell. I think that's where uh, the next
1: rotation goes. Okay, so your pick is Amazon. But you're saying if you see a pullback in those overbought names, is that a buy the dip opportunity or is it a cause for concern going forward?
11: No, I think it's a buy the dip opportunity. I think these are great long term companies that you buy, you put away, you don't worry about
1: overtime. All right. Jay Woods, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Uh, one quick look at futures before we let you go. As we mentioned, the Nasdaq, had just dipped back into negative territory. i um, still seeing it there. Looks like the Dow would open up 45 points lower. Squawk box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Join
5: Finteract, a peer-to-peer community of financial services professionals, and keep your finger on the pulse of the industry. Finteract offers a digital hub to start conversations, connect with fresh perspectives, and problem solve with peers. This members-only community also provides access to virtual and in-person events, where you can chat tech stack, develop efficiencies, and learn new ways to propel your business forward. Apply at finteract.net.